At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. The world is becoming more digitized and the need for constant connectivity more acute. It's spurring companies to build out new satellite constellations, wireless carriers to strike new partnerships, and it's fueling a wave of consolidation. Case in point, the reuniting of two Charlie Ergen-founded companies, Dish Network and Ecostar, in a move to combine satellite and terrestrial tech for an advantage in the 5G ecosystem. Listen, I'm always concerned about all competition. I mean, that's my job. But um, I can say the market is much larger, and I think that, you know, ever since I've been in telecom some 40 years ago, I have never heard that there's been enough bandwidth and there's been enough connectivity. And today, after all of those years, with all the investments that have been made, the demand is far higher than the supplies. As the communications landscape evolves, it's also driving demand for the cutting edge capabilities that will help enable these new networks to thrive. Take Cesium Astro, a startup focused on active phased arrays. I give high speed, high throughput data to all of us, uh, whether it's on our mobile phones or in our cars or uh, in any other platform on the plane. Uh, you need this technology, and that's why 5G is moving uh, towards this technology, and 6G will be uh, dominated by this technology. So I uh, started this company to really bring this technology that's been around for decades, uh, more than 80 years, to the masses, uh, very different than the way it was used in only niche applications. Cesium Astro has raised funding from Airbus Ventures, L3 Harris, and Kleiner Perkins, to name a few. There are satellites on orbit already testing its technology, and founder and CEO Shay Sabrapour says more demand for more data means more business for Cesium Astro. So much so, in fact, Sabrapour says he's even turning down some prospective customers. In this episode, we talk 5G, autonomous vehicles, even why airplane internet connections can be so spotty. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. So I think let's just start at the beginning. Uh, I guess if you could just share a little background on Cesium Astro and specifically what the company does and, and why you started it. Uh, right. I mean, I started the company uh, after about a couple of decades, 24 years at Lockheed Martin Space Systems Company as an electrical engineer. I worked on uh, a number of uh, uh, geostationary commercial and government satellites. And... Uh, uh, I found a couple of particular technologies to be very important for the future of telecommunication. Uh, one of them is this uh, technology called active phased arrays, which is, uh, uh, which is one of the technologies being used for 5G and then uh, coming for the next decade, 6G and beyond, to really deliver uh, high throughput, high speed data to everything that's mobile re requires a different kind of technology that, than what we're used to seeing today. And active phase arrays are, are the core technology. You can uh, think of them as, uh, uh, as uh, important as the internet itself in using the, this uh, resource that we call the spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum, uh, to use it properly and to be able to give high-speed, high-throughput data to all of us, uh, whether it's on our mobile phones or in our cars or uh, in any other platform on the plane, 
uh, you need this technology. And that's why 5G is moving uh, towards this technology and 6G will be uh, dominated by this technology. So I uh, started this company to really bring this technology that's been around for decades, uh, more than 80 years, to the masses, uh, very different than the way it was used in only niche applications. So if the technology has been around for 80 years, how come this is just happening now? Well, a number of reasons for that. Uh, it, it's, it's happening because uh, as we add more and more users uh, to, um, to the network, uh, you know, when, when population needs their data on, more, on their mobile platforms or, or smartphones uh, and cars and, and our uh, other vehicles, airplanes and everything else, we all expect and demand uh, more data to our devices. And uh, before, when uh, and there's a, this uh, spectrum, electromagnetic or radio waves, a radio frequency, uh, is limited uh, in how much uh, you can put through it. And uh, different bands are uh, good for different reasons. You know, uh, high frequency bands um, uh, are good for certain applications, and low frequency bands are good for, let's say, cellular technolo technology. And it, it is uh, uh, now's the time for it because the technologies that can make it uh, pro uh, prolific are available now, uh, thanks to the uh, advancements in uh, uh, crash avoidance technologies in cars and um, and technologies uh, in general, just uh, advanced uh, chips and uh, and processing power. Uh, this technology is now ready for. Uh, mass production and more economically feasible for uh, for many more applications than it was before a few decades ago where they were only used in the jet fighters and perhaps in, in Navy ships and things. And now you can actually use them for many more applications. So what does that mean in terms of the opportunities for cesium astro? Um, how quickly can you take this technology and deploy it uh, in a, a much bigger, broader way? Um, and what does that mean in terms of some of these different markets or applications that you just mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw this uh, this coming uh, years ago. I, I really felt that, uh, you know, just the way, uh, you know, our, uh, our compute technology changed from mainframes to personal computers and now our mobile handsets. I saw that, uh, you know, the, the, the telecommunication uh, uh, infrastructure and uh, has to change. It is very stovepipe right now. Uh, we, you know, most people think that because our, we have mobile devices in our hands, that telecommunication has also advanced uh, at the same rate uh, as uh, distributed computing has, but it hasn't actually. It's still quite stovepiped. Uh, and I've always believed that information should get from one place to the other, regardless of what network it's using, whether it's uh, through satellites or uh, through cell towers or other fiber optics, other means. Each technology uh, is good for a certain application. I think a hybrid system is ultimately the way to go. And uh, so the, the core technology that makes all of this possible for the future uh, to make secure, low latency, resilient communication uh, uh, is, is, is this technology that we're working on. Um, I, I can tell you that uh, as you know, uh, our, our cell phones uh, or our mobile phones are much more than just a telephone to us. They are sensing everything that we do. They are interacting with us. They're with us everywhere we go. And so the connected mobile phone is one element. And then the connected home and then the connected car 
uh, and connected airplanes and connected mobile devices uh, are, are really taking on a different meaning in our lives and in our future. And uh, as I said before, the radio spectrum is limited and you have to use it in a more efficient way. And so now all of a sudden, because we've made this technology accessible to many, many people without having PhDs in uh, radio frequency or antenna technology, uh, we're getting customers from uh, commercial satellites like low Earth orbit uh, constellations. We're getting customers from Department of Defense. We're getting customers from uh, in-flight connectivity for aircraft, for drones, for cars. Uh, we have a number of number of major car manufacturers who have spoken with us about uh, their connected car of the future. And we've spent a lot of time and investment in uh, making that possible. So as you know, um, we introduced our in-flight connectivity terminal a couple of months ago in Space News. And, uh, and that's just one of the examples. I can tell you more about our connected car applications and many other features. I definitely want to talk about the connected car applications. Um, but but first, just, I guess, pardon my ignorance. In terms of this technology, is it being deployed on satellites exclusively? Or like, how does this work? Where, do, where, where does it actually show up? Right. It, it is a technology. For example, if, uh, Morgan, you're familiar with, uh, uh, with traditional geostationary satellites, satellites, which are about 36,000 kilometers above the equator. Most satellite communication for broadcasting uh, used uh, the traditional satellites that are in geostationary, meaning that when you're at 36,000 kilometers, uh, the satellite rotates uh, with the same speed as Earth and every 24 hours, and the satellite remains a stationary, so you can point your dish antenna towards the satellite and leave it alone. You don't have to touch it or anything else, um, which has been used for broadcasting for many, many years. And it's a good, good method of uh, using satellite for that purpose. But uh, latency is high, typically is around uh, a quarter of a second uh, for a round trip signal. Um, antennas need to be larger. And uh, in general, uh, as we have demanded more and more point-to-point -point communication rather than broadcasting, these geosatellites all the signals from, let's say, CNBC and HBO and others get uploaded to the satellite and then it broadcasts to the entire country. But you can imagine for point-to-point -point communication, that's not very feasible. When uh, I want to download a page, uh, my information shouldn't be broadcast to the entire country. You want to put the information where the user is. And so because of this and because of the requirement for low latency communications, uh, low Earth orbit has become a good place for putting these uh, kind of satellites, such as uh, Starlink, uh, such as Amazon Kuiper to come, and many others. So, but when you're in low Earth orbit, in order to stay in orbit, uh, the satellite orbits the Earth uh, every 90 minutes, so it's much, much faster. As these satellites go overhead, uh, they cross horizon to horizon in less than uh, 10 minutes, in, uh, in a few minutes. And th so you can't have these uh, dishes uh, mechanically track the satellite. So you can, but it's, uh, it's not very reliable. So that's where multi-beam phased arrays come in. Uh, these uh, technologies allow you to electronically steer these beams, uh, these radio frequency uh, beams to track these satellites and connect to multiple satellites so, such that you can maintain connectivity. Uh, this is one of the reasons that you don't really get good internet on, on airplanes uh, because traditionally they were mechanically steered dishes towards these large geosatellites. Now with the advent of low Earth orbit satellites, you need flat, electronically searable, multi-beam antennas that track multiple satellites 
make before break, it's called. You know, you track one satellite and the other one picks up the next satellite and hands it off. It's the kind of, this is the kind of technology that, that enables us to have good connectivity, high-speed connectivity uh, in cars, uh, maybe even mobile phones someday, and uh, in, in, in drones and everything else uh, in our lives. Very cool. I'm glad I asked that question, and I, I appreciate the comparison to traditional broadcast, um, perhaps unsurprisingly. Um, so when I so when you talk about this and this and this need for point to point, I mean it makes perfect sense when you start talking about things like connected cars, and not just in terms of cars that are much more high tech with the with the dashboards and your ability to download data and interact with the car, but I would imagine also longer term autonomous driving as well, right? Yes, very much so. Autonomous driving really really relies on this. Autonomous driving. Uh, really requires uh, a, a new level of safety and uh, resiliency in, uh, in connectivity than, than what we're used to. The true level four, level five autonomy really relies on a resilient multi-layer connectivity. And I can get into it more as you wish. Um, I, sorry, I maybe uh, interrupted you. Please finish your question. No, that's it. I, I, I would love to get into it because I, I, I think... You know, autonomous driving, for example, has been, you know, one of the big promises, robo taxis and the like, it's been one of the big promises and one of the big things that's been talked about for so long and we haven't seen it come to fruition yet. And the role that this type of level of connectivity plays um, in, in the ecosystem to enable it, I, I think it's been overlooked. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this and what this means. Yeah, let's let's get into it. I mean, what what makes uh, uh, you know uh, autonomous vehicles, autonomous uh, driverless uh, cars possible? It's been promised for for a long time now. It was supposed to be in 2016, 17, 18, 19, and now 24. Probably uh, we're still uh, six to ten years away. At least at least for day to day cars. I mean, certainly some truck applications where they're mostly on highways and some of their applications are, are, are kind of possible right now and are possible and are being tested. But for the day to day to really eliminate the drivers, uh, there's a new level of uh, safety required uh, and uh, regulations around this uh, demand that uh, a, a new level of safety and connectivity to be implemented. Let's see what, why that is. Um, uh, these things rely, whether it's a camera system or LiDAR, uh, rely on a number of sensors uh, to collect data and information from the surrounding. Uh, these uh, systems typically use uh, some sort of a neural net or AI engine that needs to be trained, uh, to, to be trained in all sorts of uh, environments and applications. And each car nowadays uh, has... Uh, several hundred sensors that send the, send the information in multiple modalities, uh, be it camera or visible or, or ultrasound or, uh, or LIDAR uh, into a processing units across the car. And this information needs to be uploaded uh, to a central system that feeds the, and trains this uh, neural net or AI engine. There's, so every car, every modern car can generate hundreds of gigabytes, if not a terabyte of data every day that needs to be collected and processed to eventually train these cars. Remember, these cars, um, you know, we as human beings, if you see uh, uh, a person, a child uh, waves uh, to their parents on the other side of the street and jumps in the middle, you know, behind the car, uh, automatically when we're driving the car, we, we know that that person or that child, uh, when behind the car is going to come out the other end and jump in front of the car. But but if a, uh, if a system, a computer has not been trained on that specific example, 
uh, may not detect it and make make uh, mistakes. So we, you really have to train this uh, system in all sorts of edge cases to achieve the five nine redundancy and uh, safe uh, resiliency uh, that that's required. Uh, this is where connectivity comes in to collect all this data from all the cars. Uh, uh, you know, more traditional cell tower mobile platforms are, are not enough and they're very expensive for the car manufacturers. So there's a new generation of uh, fifth generation non-threshold network or satellite connectivity is required to collect all the, these inf this information from all the cars, uh, monitor and learn all of our behavior, all of our, all, all of our responses uh, to these edge cases and eventually train the machines uh, to act uh, more like us uh, and enable this uh, autonomy of the future. That's just one example, not to mention um, other modalities, other uh, types of uh, connectivity that's required. We expect uh, infotainment, we expect telematics, meaning being connected at all time at multiple levels, not only by cell towers, not, not only to GPS, but, only, uh, but also to satellites and other uh, types of communication, as well as V2X, which is called vehicle to everything, you know, vehicles to uh, to traffic lights, uh, to other cars, to human beings, uh, to buildings and to roads. So all of this requires a new level of telecommunication technology. And th at the center of all this to make this possible is this uh, one of the technologies uh, that, that, that I feel is the most important is this active phase array technology that CGM Astro has been developing and taking it to the next level. Sorry for the long answer. <laughs> no, it's great. And 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 when you lay it out like that, you can see how massive the commercial opportunities are for this. And I realize that there are defense and national security opportunities too, government opportunities. Um, you recently won an Air Force contract um, to develop these phased array antenna for remotely piloted drones, for example. And when I look at your list of blue chip investors, um, some of those names, are, you know, are more traditional aerospace and defense, which I think speaks to uh, the dual use capabilities of this technology as well. It is very much dual use. Uh, it's a technology, of course, I spent, uh, as I said, many years, uh, all of my professional career pr pretty much at, uh, in aerospace and defense. And uh, as you know, uh, uh, General Hyten, uh, a couple of years ago, made a statement. Uh, he's now retired, but uh, made the statement that I'm really not investing anymore in these uh, gold-plated, uh, I'm paraphrasing, sort of uh, behemoth, juicy targets, uh, these large geostationary satellites. Uh, you know, I do think there's still so, a, a good place for some applications for these large geostationary satellites. As I said, for broadcast applications, you can't beat it. It's really good to be able to broadcast uh, to large uh, uh, areas of the Earth. Uh, you know, three geosatellites uh, uh, can pretty much cover most of the Earth. Uh, but, uh, but as General Hayden said, uh, they, you know, if one of them uh, gets shot down by our adversaries or uh, they fail, uh, we kind of uh, have some blind spots. Uh, but so even the Department of Defense is uh, uh, adopting this low Earth orbit uh, satellite technology, such as the pr proliferated warfighter, warfighter uh, space architecture um, uh, from a space development agency, who's one of our customers. Uh, is taking it to a new level where lots and lots of low Earth orbit satellites create a network of detection and communication. And it's very resilient, it's very low latency, uh, it, it has a much more uh, higher throughput, and, and it's resilient because if one of them fails or, or, or is damaged, 
uh, uh, there's much more redundancy in the system. It's truly a distributed system. And again, this is where our technology shines because you cannot really rely on mechanically steered antennas to constantly track uh, thousands and thousands of satellites. Uh, uh, the only technology that can make this happen are electronically steerable antennas. And this is, as I said, this is te this technology has been around for a long time. This is this technology used in radar in nose cones of jet fighters. You know, that's how you uh, track multiple enemy missiles and multiple enemy uh, uh, airplanes. And now we're using it for telecommunications with bringing it into the masses by, uh, by a number of uh, intellectual property uh, and trade secrets that we have developed to make this uh, cost uh, a lot less and uh, make it uh, a lot more efficient and more powerful for these kind of applications. So what's going into developing, producing, and deploying this technology? I guess, where are you in that process and, um, and what's the growth trajectory? Right, I mean, uh, I founded the company in January of 2017 and uh, we're six and a half years into it. We, um, introduced our Gen 1 product uh, about a year and a half, a couple of years ago, and that product is now on many, many applications uh, uh, going forward. We just had a launch actually with NASA Ames uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago with a, on a rocket, rocket lab uh, rocket. Uh, those satellites are in orbit now and using our technology. Uh, we have a launch coming up uh, every quarter from now till 27 with our Gen 1 products, which is only supposed to be sort of a uh, introductory product, but it's already found its way to all sorts of customers and generating revenue for us uh, with uh, lunar missions, customers that are go putting rovers on the moon and uh, establishing connectivity from in, in a cis-lunar space, uh, essentially uh, enabling the internet in space uh, for lunar missions and future Mars missions. Uh, we have found customers, as I said, uh, that are interested for um, a connected car, uh, for drones, as you mentioned, we have found applications uh, in uh, in other defense applications uh, for sensing and uh, and and as well as traditional satellite uh, in uh, in Leo orbit. A lot of uh, Leo constellations uh, that are coming up, uh, uh, you know, have baseline cesium products. And then, so our, so our company is growing really fast. We're at about 150 people now. Uh, we'll be at a, at a couple hundred people by the end of the year. Uh, our Gen 2 products, which are much, much more capable, have uh, uh, many, many more beams, independent beams, and uh, are coming out by uh, February next year. We, uh, you, you may have also read that uh, we got another contract from Space Development Agency with Raytheon as our customer for, uh, for this uh, LEO architecture of Space Development Agency. And we have a few more announcements that we're going to make very soon about the growth of the company in drones, in aircraft. We made our first in-flight connectivity connection to a geosatellite a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're going to be testing this on helicopters, on uh, autonomous aircraft, on, uh, on an Airbus aircraft next year, and many, many more applications, which uh, uh, I can't get into in this, in the, in this environment. Which sounds like maybe maybe it's either news that has yet to be announced or is classified. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so it sounds like it's all systems. All systems go for you. I'm, what is, um, what is the long term vision for the company? Where do you see the company headed in the coming years? And as you deploy more of these um, products, and and you see more applications in in more in more industries. 
You know, I think, uh, as I said, uh, I think active phase array is one of those general purpose technologies, uh, truly one of those general purpose technologies, meaning the kind of technologies that really have uh, wide ranging uh, worldwide, uh, you know, socioeconomic impact around the world. You know, I, I, I've always believed uh, uh, there are sort of, if you can imagine, three technologies that are really important for the next couple of decades. One uh, bucket, I call them sort of uh, life uh, sciences, technologies, things that sustain human life on this, uh, uh, on this, uh, uh, you know, floating spacecraft we call planet Earth, you know, the sustain sustainment of life. Uh, sustainable energy uh, uh, and uh, clean water, clean food, uh, uh, the technologies that are related to sustaining life on this. You know, long before we become multi-planetary species, we still, we're all stuck on this uh, spaceship that we call Earth. And so technologies that allow us to uh, create a healthy environment on this Earth, uh, one of those, tech, uh, one of those uh, uh, areas that I think there's gonna be a lot of investment. The other bubble, the other area, I feel is uh, has to do with um, advanced compute technologies, uh, edge computing, AI, AGI, and machine learning. I think uh, that's another general purpose technology that's going to change the world uh, uh, beyond imagination. Uh, and whereas, for example, Google uh, and companies like Google catalog all the human knowledge, uh, AI is able to actually disseminate the, the, the right amount of information, the, 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 the net information to the population of the world so that uh, that knowledge can be shared, all of human knowledge can be shared, and, and uh, hopefully uh, more prosperity for all people around the world. The third part of this is connecting all of this information to the entire world. So if you have all of this combination of all of human knowledge uh, that uh, uh, that advanced computing, quantum computing, and AI can make uh, make available. Uh, you need to connect it to the entire world and to, to all of our machines, to all of our robots, to all of our cars and hand handsets and people. And so that's where I think having advanced telecommunication technology that connects everything with high speed and high throughput, not the traditional, you know, shouldn't matter uh, how the information gets from one place to the other. It shouldn't be that you know, you're, you're locked into one provider. You should, your information should be able to go to anywhere uh, in the most secure, fastest, most resilient way possible. And so that's why I call phased arrays the next general purpose technology, much like steam engines and transistor and uh, internet itself. Are you, now I know you've done, uh, you've gone through series B last year. Um, and you do have investors like Airbus Ventures and L3 Harris and Heiko and Kleiner Perkins and Honeywell and Franklin Templeton, to, to name a few of them. Are you planning to raise more capital um, anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, even though our Series B, uh, most of the money is still in the bank, uh, we're doing really well uh, as a company because we've generated a lot of revenue and, and growing. But there's so much demand right now for our technologies that we're literally... Uh, turning down some customers because there's just so, so much uh, we can, we want to make sure we're successful on the commitments that we have made. So we're actually, we would like to double our team uh, within the next year. So we're, we're in the middle of a, uh, raising Series C, uh, as I said, not because we're running out of funds, but because we want to scale the company. We're at a point where every entrepreneur wants to be at that hockey stick. And we really are uh, at the tipping point of that uh, hockey stick and are raising a series C to double and triple our team because uh, many, many customers, both in uh, defense and commercial 
in all sorts of platforms are coming to us, uh, including car companies, and wanting our technologies. Uh, and so that's the reason uh, we're raising more money, yes. Who do you compete with? Or are you, are you really the only game in town when it comes to this technology? Uh, you know, there are traditional, uh, traditional aerospace and defense companies that have had this technology, at least core active phase array technology in their portfolio. Um, and, uh, and the reason startups uh, do better, uh, it's not because, you know, we're, we're smarter or, you know, just like we have access to smarter engineers. In general, I think R&D and advanced technologies develop better at startups and smaller companies because uh, at big companies, um, when uh, you, you still have a, a limited number of engineers and when you win a major program like GPS or other programs that are you know, multiples of billions of dollars, a lot of your talent uh, goes to work on those programs uh, and are committed to those program, programs, national security programs for several years. So you really don't have a lot of uh, focus and talent in developing core technologies. The advantages of startups like ours are that we have focused for six and a half years on one thing, very, very focused on one thing. And uh, so it makes us very unique. There are a couple of other companies, uh, startups that are focused on phased arrays. They're more passive. Uh, there's two types of phased arrays, active arrays and passive arrays. And uh, companies like Chimera and others are uh, passive phased array technologies. They have certain use cases uh, in their future. Uh, I believe we're the only uh, active phased array company with certain tech. There are other active phased array startups but we're the only one with certain uh, characteristics and IP uh, in our technology and sort of are leading this effort in the startup world. Again, not to take away from traditional companies like L3 Harris and, and Lockheed and Boeing and many others who've developed this for decades and decades, but to make it like Lego blocks where hardware and software seamlessly work together and you can build very sophisticated systems with a few building blocks that you see on our website uh, such that anybody can use it, that you don't need PhDs uh, uh, to use this. That has not been available in the past. If you went into a big company uh, and wanted to uh, phase the right product, it would be a multi-hundred million dollar effort. Uh, we wanted to build a product that kind of like an iPhone came out of the box and it worked with all the hardware and software and tools that a customer needed so that they can focus on their mission. And in that sense, uh, that's where we're unique. Uh, we've made this technology now available at a fraction of what a traditional uh, large defense contractor uh, could build uh, to our customers, many of our customers. And if you look at the customer set that we've announced, uh, you can see why they're coming to us. It's because they get the same performance at an order of magnitude less cost. And um, yeah, so in that sense, uh, there's only a handful of companies that are doing this. And I, I believe we're uh, one of the unique active phase array ones uh, that. Uh, that is uh, uh, that, that is doing this. And certainly the demand is there, as you have just explained so well. Uh, Shay Sabrapour, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it. The CEO and founder of Cesium Astro. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by following us wherever you get your podcasts and by watching our coverage on Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.